You can't influence me. I'm not susceptible. I'm uninfluenceable. Yeah, De- Darren Brown is the only influence. <laughs> <laughs> Today we are joined by friend of the pod, Lena. Hi guys. She's hopped on to give us some hot takes. Yes. And today's episode is going to be about many things. Influencers, feminism, and how to write a terrible book. And a bit of cyberbullying thrown in there. It's good for all of us, I think. It's character building. Yeah, it's character building. Yeah. It's good for the soul. Drama makes you interesting. (laughs) Plus it adds some spice to our lives. (laughs) (laughs) I want to introduce Lena more. Oh yeah, okay. Um, so there's nothing to say, Lena, really. Are you a gaslighter, a gatekeeper, or a girl boss? Um, I'm definitely a girl boss mm. with um, a dash of gatekeeping in there. Gatekeeping tendencies. Yeah, yeah. She gatekeeps the English language. I heard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, I can't read. Remember? <laughs> yeah, that is so true. You can't read. Lena was meant to be one of our fellow podcast stressers, but she tapped out because she just didn't have the energy to expend. She didn't have the, yeah, the emotional, emotional labour. <laughs> She's uh, educating the minds of the nation instead. Yeah. Thanks for Thank your work, you NHS hero. Don't forget to clap for me this Thursday. <laughs> Pay rise? No thanks. I prefer a clap. <laughs> or the clap. Or sometimes both. For listener context, I don't know if people will be can say that again <clears throat> birth again why don't you you big Sorry. burpy bitch <laughs> i'm gassy as a person i am a very gassy person yeah you're literally always burping you're gassy and you're gassy. <laughs> yes for listener context i don't know if people are aware but florence given and chadira egaru are two influencers who up until now have been very adjacent to each other operating mm-hmm. in the same spheres they have the same management team they're the same brand of contemporary aesthetic feminism and i say feminism in quotes because we'll get into it later but like i'm not convinced that it is actually feminism and they've recently both released books um chadira's is called what a time to be alone and it was released in 2018 and florence givens is called women don't owe you pretty and was released in 2020 and was a huge bestseller. I think Chadira's did well, but Florence's was a Sunday Times bestseller. She's, I think, the youngest woman ever to do that Damn. for the period of time that she did, which is depressing. Um, <laughs> and Chadira, aka the Slum Flower, that's her online moniker, has claimed that Florence Given plagiarised her work, essentially. <laughs> Um, Should I quote? Kick off with the million dollar question. Do you guys think it's plagiarised? (laughs) No. Yeah, me neither. And we've read both. She not only said it was plagiarised, she said that she should be owed 70% of what was made from Florence's book. And Florence get the other 30%. Yeah, she gave two alternatives, didn't she? She said either you can pull it from publication and give me everything you've earned so far... Or you keep it in publication and I continue to reap 70%. Mm. The way that she 
the the vocabulary she used is very interesting as well reparations mm. yeah pip do you want to read out the statement she made yeah so she said in case florence given slash her team is confused about what i mean by her paying me reparation i will make this very clear to understand seeing as women don't owe you pretty has significantly copied my existing published work florence given has either has the choice to either and then she talks about pulling it from print or keeping the printing going and splitting her royalties with me 70 30 um Please keep in mind that Florence has and will continue to generate brand deals and well-paid sponsored work that comes from the visibility this book has granted her, along with her following and her whiteness. In the same way her team buying ad space under my name and book titles have generated her money. In the same way her co-opting my work has significantly impacted my books being stocked in bookstores when I have previously never had any issues with my books being stocked. After all, she has managed to generate off of my likeness Florence Given can afford to separate herself financially from this book. It is the right thing to do, and as a white woman who has built an audience from referring to herself as an ally to black people, this is Florence's opportunity to show what accountability should look like in the face of material harm enacted by her on a black person she claims she was friends with. Um, and then and she talks about like the emotional struggle that this has caused her. This whole thing is insane because her book's now sold out since this beef as well, mm. so she no longer needs like any kind of financial Reckon, compensation yeah. um in my opinion because even if it was plagiarized because this is incident has sold out her books both of her books because she's published two now yeah she also probably knew that this would make her book sales go up yeah for sure this is like a publicity so... stunt but i don't i don't think it's a publicity stunt because that is implying she is like faking something in order to, ge- to generate sales but mm. she's deliberately generating sales right she's saying what you can do if you want to mm. challenge Florence Given is buy my book it's not a stunt because it's very transparent yeah and also I think that she genuinely does believe all of this stuff that oh, Florence 100%. has plagiarised her I'm not saying that she's faking it but I'm saying that like she was very aware of the, what the consequences of publishing this on Instagram would be rather than going through if you genuinely thought something was plagiarised you'd probably go to like the lawyers first and wouldn't make this statement well, immediately on Instagram she did did, right she oh, did there she? was a whole battle of like emails being sent back and forth agents publishers etc yeah and her whole thing is that she's she felt really traumatized because no one was listening to her and monroe bergdorf came out in support of florence given and monroe bergdorf had previously been like quite a close friend of hers i think like they had she yeah. showed like private screenshots of their text conversations and mm. stuff and also um importantly they share a management team yeah and these organizations it's so not in their interest to have two clients against each other until the contract's cut yeah even then you never want clients against each other but like i can fully imagine that she was trying to flag this and being put down yeah she says that she was speaking to the managers about it and they were saying that you know it wasn't relevant there's one thing she says she's like oh my sales were consistent before this book was published because my work was in its own lane uninterrupted it's like if your book can only compete if absolutely nothing is similar to it then it's probably a shit book which by the way like it, it is, is a shit book like it's one of the shittest it's one of the worst I've books ever i've ever read yeah yeah i completely Ooh. agree and like if you're like the concept of I mean, I hate to say it, but like competition under capitalism, which Mm. is if you're participating in the publishing industry, like it or not, which they don't seem to like it, fair enough, you are generating income for yourself by competing. Yeah. That's that's, that's what the labour is. Also, both of these women are influencers who work on a platform which generates content, like 
every single day there's more content more content more content you published your book two years before her you can't be annoyed that like some new influencer who's come up through the same way as you is like publishing content in the same way which is equally as vapid and therefore takes over i can see why she's annoyed that florence's is more is selling out more that's basically what she's annoyed at right is yeah that florence is a bestseller and hers didn't do as well but florence's is actually genuinely a better book mm. i mean and it's still terrible it's awful yeah they're both disgusting which yeah. we'll get into disgusting pieces of literature but also like florence florence has the illustrations in there that's which she's actually say. famous for yeah. chidera has illustrations in yeah, her book that she the... did herself but yeah the point is florence given's platform that she cultivated was an author, um, an illustrator primarily. Mm. And, and then, then she made a zine. Yeah. Which was essentially like the first kind of... Iteration. Yeah, of Women Don't Know You Pretty. And then she released this book. Yeah. But yeah, two years is a long time, especially in the influencer world when you can get famous all of these so people quickly. are dime a dozen yeah That's and i think what you said pip like the key word is content like these books are content yeah they're not literary books that should have been tweets books that exactly. should have been tweets as shakar said it yeah i mean i read some of women and a pretty last year like last summer and then some this week and i can say that it just sounds like a bunch of tumblr affirmation quotes strung together and also like what i would say to my best friend who's crying over a boy on a night out Fully. outside of a club you don't deserve him yeah well, oh, the other way around he doesn't <laughs> deserve you yeah you don't really deserve him yeah you ugly bitch <laughs> yeah. that's what i say i'd respect florence more if she came out with that i'd say he's too good for you <laughs> and it's good for him that he broke up with you um but i mean crucially i'm not a lawyer i don't know if you guys have noticed <laughs> it's just not plagiarized Okay, yeah. It just so isn't. There's Florence um, references the slum flower three or four times throughout the book, including on the first page, like on it's the very first page of the book, it mentions her and mentions how much influence she's had on her. And like, yes, I can see how for some people that would be a target of like, this person is clearly copying me because Florence doesn't really reference much in the book at all. Um, it's mainly just her own thoughts and opinions. But the fact that she explicitly references the saggy boobs matter, uh, movement yeah. so many times also like bit generous to call it a movement honestly yeah yeah <laughs> yeah a, I mean it's a hashtag where did it move <laughs> exactly yeah. who did it move I only heard what about the saggy move? boobs I only heard about like that. movement yeah. quote unquote after this whole beef saga yeah it's just funny that they're having a go at each other over plagiarising when neither of them are well, plagiarizing requires like creating something worth plagiarizing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like something new or meaningful. Which kind of brings me to my like hot take of the situation is, I fully understand how Chidera has read this and thought it was plagiarized, but it's not that Florence Given copied her. It's that they operate in this like new aesthetic feminist sphere, which is entirely content, content over like thought. insight. Those yeah. are two different things. Of course, it's going to generate like the same opinions. And the, they, there are a lot of similarities. They have the same rhetoric. They have very similar structures. They use very similar phraseology and mm. ideology. I would actually call it an ideology. And we can talk about what that ideology is later. Uh, they really do overlap. But it's not a case of Florence given copying her. It's a case of this particular sphere of feminism produces the same opinions because there's such a narrow window of acceptability within you have to be woke 
you have to be and i say woke in like an ironic like checkbox checkbox neoliberal every point you make Mm. you have to say but oh by the way this is different for black people disabled people yeah without actually ever acknowledging what those differences might be or analyzing how they've come about you just have to check it off performative and homogenizing of people's experience flattening of them absolutely reducing it to content and putting them on a pedestal yeah without actually even considering like the material conditions in which these people live in and also just having no like what what am i trying to say here it transforms all of these categories into afterthoughts whilst trying to like centralize them as things that we should be caring about it's like every single statement in florence's book is like i'm so pretty but i'm also white and i understand that it's like harder if you're black or disabled or um trans and then it's like okay, you're not centralising these people by acknowledging that because they always come second to you and your opinion. There are a suffix to your yeah, I statement. Exactly. Like, to it's your she, ego. Acknowledging it, that people have different experiences is not It's not the same as understanding those experiences. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If she actually wanted to highlight their struggle, she would have had interviews with the people that she's talking about or, like, chapters co-written by them. If she actually wanted to kind of highlight and you know platform yeah platform marginalized people's experiences but she's just telling people like this is what people go through yeah but she but she's actually not saying this is what people go through she's saying this is what i go through but it'd be different if i was black Mm. and it's like okay but how and how do you know that and what research have you done into that and what are you doing to compensate that i bet you they end up co-writing a book together about like yeah that will be like the the pinnacle like they'll hate each other for like five years and then they'll have some crazy reunion and they'll write a book together about like what they learn on their time apart on opposite sides of the feminist spectrum but enemies like... to besties yeah <laughs> enemies to lovers and, like... slow burn <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because they both write about like not hating women they hate women they hate so women much. oh my god they hate women <laughs> should we get into the books or like do you yeah, want well, there I... more to say on the b the thing that i wanted to say about when i was saying it, it obviously produces the same content because i'm not going to call these books literary works it produces content which then gets consolidated into publishing deals for the publishing industry to make money yeah and the reason i think it produces the same content is because they both gained their platforms through instagram yeah fundamentally aesthetic like always however much people like to say i'm showing my fat rolls or i'm showing instagram's a highlight reel yeah it is and just you saying that doesn't stop it being a highlight reel so it's fundamentally an aesthetic vehicle for ideology but that ideology is aesthetic in the first place if that makes sense yeah you can't you're not like i've created an aesthetic platform in order to address feminism like the feminism that you generate is aesthetically focused and they're both fully convinced that it is possible to like actuate a feminism through instagram and through social media and that's part of the problem like florence constantly talks about how you can make social media good and like you can diversify it and make it useful to you and learn from it and it's like i don't think that if you base your feminism purely off instagram you're ever gonna end up with something which is good because instagram is a is a platform owned by mark zuckerberg it's apparently just like capitalist oppressive it's the new capitalism yeah right you can't not have that can we have mass democracy under mass media they really want to have their cake and eat it, these women, don't they? Oh, That's yeah. her whole metaphor that she uses. Oh. Don't settle for crumbs. Eat the whole damn cake. 
And it's a quote from Tumblr. <laughs> yeah. Oh. There was one point, point where she actually like quotes like a Tumblr. Fully. Yeah. Should we dive into the um, books? Wait, myself? I just oh. want to say one more thing about the book. Like this is about the books in general. Is that actually the real tragedy of both of these books is like neither of them should have been allowed to be published. No. Yeah. And it's kind of disgusting that publishing houses prey on these young women knowing that in five years time they will look back on these books and be like what they'll the cringe yeah i mean i florence wrote her book when she was 21 years old we're both we're all 22 no you're 23 i'm 23 mate i'm 25 next year oh i know you're not yeah i am yeah. 24 this year <gasps> you're getting old babe. Oh, that's disgusting i was literally just about to talk about how like we should <laughs> How the glorification of youth is one yeah. of the biggest problems in society. Well, as really Anna Katchen said, the most disgusting thing a woman can be is old. Yeah. In society. But, like, the most disgusting thing an author can be is young. Mm. Like, mm. I would lower the voting age and raise the publishing age. Yeah, you can't get <laughs> published until you're 25. Yeah. Because like we've had our time of like the child prodigies, right? We've had the Brett Easton Ellis's who wrote in college. We don't need that anymore. But that's fine. Like if you're writing a novel, that's novel kind of different. fine. But these are both these women are both using their experience and they don't have any. Like Florence has to constantly use her fourteen year old experience. Um the Sunflower has to constantly turn back to her like nine year old experience. It's kind of insane. And if you were a reputable publisher, you just I don't understand why you're chasing after these women. It's because Instagram has taken over and the publishing houses mm. have to publish this stuff because otherwise they're irrelevant um, because the infographics are, are there and taking over from actual reading. So they have to publish them. But it just gets into this vicious cycle of churning out these books, which would never have been published. And I'm not saying like... Well, that sounds very gatekeeper but I think no, sometimes, sometimes there should some be a bit of gatekeeping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your platform is a reflection of, I mean, people always say it's so much more than this, but it is a reflection of like how much people like you, mm-hmm. essentially, such that if you are then able to capitalise off of that, you are writing a piece of work that is inseparable. I know all art is inseparable from the artist, but there no longer exists books without known authors, really, in the same way. In terms of this kind of, I mean, there do, there does exist. Yeah, I was gonna say there are. Sorry, but, I meant in this sphere. Yeah, in this like Instagrammer sphere. You can't have feminism separate from the feminist, such that the feminist you themselves like, has a You can't. This is the platform. thing. Like any other any other feminist publishing a piece of, it's just if you have a big following, you can get away with murder. Like if you yeah. if you were publishing it as an academic feminist, you would be held to a higher. It would never get past degree of like rigor during the editing process and you would be able to publish as an unknown feminist but you would also be held to a higher standard and that's what's scary is that rather than having a system where like the more well known you are the more we actually critique you and um kind of expect high standards of you the more well known you are the less the more bullshit you can put in a book yeah because the ego and the platform surrounding the ego is so significant and so monetizable i don't know if that's a word yeah, it is. yeah, the work itself doesn't need to be good because the yeah. author is the cash cow. It's yeah. not the yeah. piece of work that is created these, as a result. These books are selling the people that wrote them because like, their platform the, yeah. is derived from themselves before the work. And they cut so many costs for the publisher. Like publishers have to spend so much money marketing books. When you publish books like this, you know they're going to sell and you don't have to market them because you've already got hundreds of thousands of people sold on. Yeah. Like Florence Gibbons' book was selling out 
in pre um pre-order yeah pre-order i think it's it's a really ugly side to the publishing industry because they are platforming these women who really shouldn't be writing books sorry to gatekeep but those books aren't good or maybe it's unfair to say they shouldn't be writing books they shouldn't be writing these books they shouldn't be writing these books now no like like florence can write a book in 10 years time and and it will be better but just because you are relevant doesn't mean you're a good author and that distinction's completely collapsed because the book that is published is so lucrative for the publishing industry and i've seen a real explosion in my like narrow sphere of quote-unquote influencers getting book deals and they are all our age i think with most of them though i am able to ignore them and with florence's you can't like every bookshop you walk past it's in the window Mm. um and everyone's like everyone's actually reading it (laughs) yeah what is to be said about the fact that like lots of women have read this and they're all on the instagram yeah they love it they're like florence has inspired me to leave my toxic boyfriend like and love my body and like blah 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 I saw one of my friends called it a quote-unquote masterpiece. I was like, have you ever read a book? (laughs) I kind of think that part of that is that people are just retweeting hype. Like, this is basically a social media book and it's being treated like a piece of social media in that people are prejudging it before they've read it. Which also, like, we did to an extent. Like, I knew I was going to hate this. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Because we already hated it. We already hated Florence. (laughs) And I did. And I... But, like, I have reasons for hating it. I would... Yeah, we all read it. I was it. perfectly open to being surprised and I just wasn't. I wanted to like it. I didn't want to like it because that would that would cause me to be wrong about my own mm. opinion. I like to be proved I don't like. wrong when I have a bad opinion. Um, but Guys, should we write a book? <laughs> what should we write it about? The Clitical Theory Guide to Feminism. The Clitical and it would Theory just be Guide to Being Hot and Skinny. One <laughs> <laughs> but we listened to a podcast called Red Scare and they mentioned how they got offered a book deal really early into their podcast because their podcast really took off. And their response was, no. Yeah. What do we know about writing a book? Which I think has so much integrity. Okay, so like also writing a book is meant to be like a horrible, like most people that actually write good books hate doing it. Hate writing. Because it's so like you're in your room for ages and you're just sitting there with your book every day. You can't make yourself do it. And And like all of these girls like, writing easy like florence used to like dance and be like oh writing but so easy it's like yeah because you haven't said anything yeah she talked about how you know the words are just flying off the page okay well like, they shouldn't be let's let's get into the book can mm. i start with my favorite quote yeah you can okay fine um my favorite quote page 40 one of the most radical acts under capitalism is to simply love yourself that is fuck the most imagine if Lenin had known that why did, you, <laughs> why did no one tell Karl Marx this yeah they would be living in every socialist world right Germans now. just love, love themselves, themselves. <laughs> if you ever see a homeless person that's been like evicted because of austerity and yeah. they're like really suffering under the state just go up to them and be like love that. yourself queen yeah literally this is the most stupid thing I've ever heard I have such a problem with the radical self-care logic no one understands what radicalism is no, no, I've got, I've literally got it written down. 
stupid points about radicalism and activism. Also, self-care is just something sold to us by <laughs> capitalism to make us buy bath bombs and shit that we don't need rather than actually just Including changing yeah, book, exactly. life from within. Yeah, And like, she even acknowledges that. She's like, I don't think self-care is just doing a face mask. But then she doesn't say like what, what her is. alternative is of self-care. Apart from like dumping men if they're yeah. slightly a dick. <laughs> yeah. Also, she is so deeply capitalist. Yeah, I mean, okay. yeah. deeply I, capitalist. Should I go through all of the quotes where she uses capitalist metaphors? Can I begin with this yeah, one? Yeah, you go. I, I wrote this down because it infuriated This is your favourite one, I know it. Um, if seeing someone's low moments eases your anxiety and makes you feel like you're winning, you should work on this. And then I'm skipping slightly. She gives some examples. And then she says, follow pages with your interests and try to build an online community of like-minded people that you could potentially meet IRL. I mean, that is just the sloppiest writing. Yeah. Is someone always pulling incredible looks? Is her makeup on point? Start watching YouTube tutorials. (laughs) Does the fact that she has similar style irritate you? Great minds think alike. Why not pitch a collaboration instead? Are you jealous that she's running a thriving business? Go home. Write a list of all the things that bring you joy and figure out ways to start making a profit. So profit, networking, collaboration. One of the most radical things you can do under capitalism is run a girl boss business. One of the most radical things you can do under capitalism is marketise and profit from the way you care for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. That's what she's saying. Okay, so the whole way through the book she basically uses, and this is what I think is actually more worrying, is that all of these people do this. They're deep, views of relationships are kind of molded by capitalism and they see everything as it exchange essentially so she says promise yourself to stop buying into people's potential you're not a startup investor i be smart with your energy treat it like the currency of your business view a first date like an interview would you hire someone who was late to an interview add value to my life or bust and then when she's talking about like um privilege and kind of accountability under racism her examples are are you hiring people for a new project make sure there are people of color on board have you been asked to speak on an all-white panel decline the invite tell them why and suggest they hire a greater diversity of people it's like why are those your examples why are those the first examples that come to mind i know it's because she's an influencer but it's like she can't understand that most people are not part of this and like my opportunities to diversify my I guess, encounters with the world do not come from speaking on panels or hiring people for creative media projects. I am not a girl boss. Yeah. Like, you're not pitching this book to the working class. You're pitching it to people at your economic and influential level or above. Yeah. With that advice. It's insane that so many people actually find it, like, useful because it's actually only useful for the narrowest set of people. Like, if you take... But I actually don't think that's contradictory. I think people can read it and feel good about themselves because then they're like, yeah, if ever I'm in that scenario, that's what I'm going to do. And then you never have to change your behaviour. It's also so vague. Like, it's all about changing behaviour, but it's so vague as to... You could... Reading that book would be enough of a change of behaviour in Florence Given's eyes. Yeah, fully. Just buy it, read it, put it down. The end, you're done. You're a feminist. You're intersectional. Mm. That would would be it. Because according to Florence, all you have to do is just be like but it's different if you're black and then you're anti-racist this line i know i've been banging on about social media but this line absolutely enraged me doesn't it sound nice to get lost in a social media hole that feels empowering (laughs) challenging and encourages inner growth rather than sending you into a spiral of self-deprecation and comparison 
no, I don't want to get lost in a social media hole. Yeah, go outside. I don't want to ever get lost in a social media hole. Like, what, what is kill she myself. saying? Yeah. <laughs> Quite frankly, Florence. I want to kill myself enough already without getting lost <laughs> in a social media hole. I, just the concept of being so consumed by social media and thinking that that is a positive step in your personal growth and your political growth. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, she's come to all of her politics it seems through instagram yeah and this is maybe not a point that will be well received by the listeners because i know it's imbricated with our privilege but it shows that she hasn't been well educated on feminist theory well, no mm, i that agree she, it's like i know i've been incredibly lucky to go to a university that trained me with the best academics in feminism like every week mm-hmm. and so i i acknowledge that that is not an opportunity many people will ever have. But it's not. But about, it shows. But it's not about going to uni. It's about like reading a book. Like someone said. I think it's partly about going to uni. Like I know I have massively benefited. No, I think that you can like you can educate yourself. You just can't like you can educate yourself in feminism without going to uni. Definitely. However, you can't think that that education is going to come from Instagram. That's the issue. But I'm saying that we can see that because we have not been educated in feminism by Instagram. I think they're like, if you look at second wave feminists, most of them, like, it's not like they were all educated. But I'm more like... But that's because... Sorry. No, you go, Lena. That's because I feel as if if you are a genuinely oppressed woman, your lived experience is enough to inform you about, like, feminist politics. Yeah. So, but because she is incredibly privileged in a lot of ways, it is about university and like reading that yes, theory exactly because she can't rely on lived experiences i mean obviously women she's... are oppressed but she's also like white middle class pretty yeah thin etc etc like yeah. if she were to write a book i'm not really that interested in her personal experience because it doesn't teach me anything i don't know already yeah and absolutely. this whole book is personal experience mm. so in order to make the book viable it needed to be kind of academic yeah, yeah. and it wasn't i mean she does say like that it's not adding anything new to the feminist theory world so then why did you write it and it's like okay but then don't brand it as this like brand it as yeah so that's what we were saying earlier something else i was she should have just branded it as self-help because that's what it is yeah affirmations like even if it was like a little like i would i would have preferred for her to do her zine because that's more true to her Mm. and i love her her illustrations. illustrations and stuff yeah, I think her illustrations are the only thing that's vaguely interesting about the book. But also, when you've seen that many of them in quick succession, they yeah. like they, they look... become content rather than art. Yeah, mm. exactly. And like, I actually really don't like her illustrations anymore, just because they're everywhere. And like, yeah. you go around any Saturated. house in Clapham, and there's always a Florence given, like a also cool because... girl smoking with her tits out. Yeah, because I now associate the drawings. With her. I can look in the mirror to see that. <laughs> <laughs> because I now associate the drawings with her as well. I dislike them more. Which is, again, the occasion of the art coming from an ego. Mm. So yeah. when you dislike the ego, you hate the art. We all disliked Florence before the book because of the, like... I think we all started liking her at the dump him thing. Yes. Or was it... Was that for you? Dump Wait, him? you mean we started disliking her Florence. at the dump him thing? We liked yeah, her for him. a while in her yeah. early when days. When I first came across her, I was like, oh, this girl seems harmless. And then... You I was watched, like, she's like, got cool style and she's a good artist and she's a feminist, so... But, like... Oh, she's got a nice house. Yeah. She is an actual culprit of misandry, I would say. <laughs> I that... don't believe misandry is a thing. 
I think it is a thing. It's just not actually significant. It's an opinion. To... It's not an ideology, really. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it's an ideology. Oh, no, fair enough. I'm just saying that like she hates men in a way which is like very visible, and she turns men into these immediate villains. Like every that's what the dump him rhetoric is about. Like a man, you don't even have to like she says dump him because you always deserve better. There's no recognition that any man could ever be enough for you. And I think that is when I began to be really sceptical of her because I remember she did a Q&A on her Instagram page. And I mean, why, if you're a 50-year-old woman, you would ever DM Florence Given asking for <laughs> advice? I don't know. But someone, <laughs> someone sent in a question saying, I've been married to my husband since we were in our 20s. It's been 30 years. I'm beginning to find some of his habits are frustrating to me and he's not listening when I say that I feel patronised by them. Something along those lines. And her response was, dump him. <laughs> he's it's your so husband. audacious. The father of your kids. The absolute audacity for you as a 21-year-old to think you can actually give good advice on a... How, how many years was the marriage? 30-year marriage. A 30-year marriage and your response is dump him. <laughs> she has no, like sense of nuance when it comes to relationships people are expendable totally expendable and she never sees like she never considers the fact that any human relationship like boyfriend girlfriend friendship family like you can't just cut them off as if you can just get a new one easily like when like your lives are so intertwined with each other there's so many factors keeping you together you can't just dump anyone yeah and i there's a quote that she says that absolutely wow me up. So for context, my parents are divorced. And um, she talks about how spotting the signs of internalised misogyny, again, which just reads like an Instagram infographic, you know, there's five ways to tell if you've got internalised misogyny Mm -hmm. rather than an exploration of what it means. Anyway, one of the things that she flags is if you judge or pity divorced women, flip it around, think to yourself, divorced women are actually, in italics, iconic. They successfully escaped a situation in which they were unhappily trapped. That's so shitty. It's not iconic to have gone through traumatic... Like, sorry if this is a boring thing to say, but the legal and financial consequences of divorce are huge. That's not iconic. And I'm obviously not saying that people shouldn't get divorced. That's clearly not my point. My point is more, why do traumatic and really quite disenfranchising and serious costly big upheavals in your life have to be boxed into an aesthetically inclined empowering girl boss iconoclasm yeah yeah why can't you just say this is shit and i'm sorry it happens this is what annoyed me about because also like when I first came across her, like, I had just gone through a breakup, and she was like, oh, yeah, the post-breakup glow up, like, you look so beautiful, you feel so great, and I was like, I feel like fucking shit, like, what are you talking about? This isn't a nice experience, losing someone that you were actually, she's clearly never had a genuine feeling for someone in her life, other than herself. (laughs) Big claim. (laughs) Big claim. She says, she talked about how to be a feminist, you have to be willing to outgrow your peers, your friends, and even your family if you're going to live a fulfilled life on your own terms. It's like, radical individualism. Yeah, it's, it's like, neoliberal. It's just yeah. neoliberalism. They both just, plagiarize Margaret Thatcher. There yeah, you go. Thatcher, R.I.P. <laughs> Baroness Thatcher. 
such a walk. So sorry, sorry you can run. run. <laughs> Genuinely, though. Seriously. But yeah, like, if you have to lose... If you have to lose every single person in your life in order to be a feminist, like, count me the fuck the out. Yeah. Yeah, don't you think she just sounds like a shit? Yeah. yeah. Like, she's always banging on about how everyone around her, like, hates her and shits on her feminism. It's like, no, you're, you're just a shit, honey. Molly Green did a review of it and she summed it up, which I thought was such a good quote. Florence Gibbon doesn't seem to view feminism as anything other than a tool for proving to herself her own worth. Yeah. Which is exactly what she does. Yeah, it's not something to uplift other women. It's something to... Like, this book is ostensibly to make other women feel how she feels. But it's also... There's such a deep pit of shame in there and guilt. It's funny because she says, like, guilt is a useless um, emotion. Guilt is But she also says that you should, um, like, tell everyone off who doesn't believe the same way as you. You should constantly be in this kind of aggravating relationship with the rest of the world you should isolate yourself if you're the only one that has these beliefs like it's very women hating really that was another thing as well there was the bit where she was talking about like um chapter five is about refusing to find comfort in other people's flaws and it actually made me feel so good about myself because most of the things she mentioned i was like i've never hated a woman because of this yeah she's like yeah don't she used to hate women for being bossy or intimidating she used to hate all of her partner's exes could she be more of a misogynist she used to genuinely accuse people of being sluts she used to use the word bitch seriously like i've never i've never felt any of those compulsions i love bossy women yeah you are boss me around mummy (laughs) (laughs) one thing that she says and this my baby (laughs) brings me into chadira's book as well she says you don't hate them you just hate yourself that's what Florence Given says on one page when she's talking about how to view other women. And I just, I read that. And my first thought was, no, I don't. I don't hate other women or myself. Stop trying to be relatable on the platform of self-hatred. Mm-hmm. It's like, in order to self-love, you have to begin from self-hatred. Self-hate, yeah. From their perspective. Well, this is like the problem with body positivity is body positivity is a movement which assumes that we all hate ourselves anyway. Fully. And I actually think that we should all just aim for a, of like complete body neutrality yeah i don't want to consciously evaluate myself yeah i don't want to think about my body we should all just acknowledge that this is just like a piece of flesh that we have to exist in for 70 years and move on oh you're planning on dying at 70 (laughs) oh god i'm planning on 50 years not happened to you i'm planning on dying at 25 to be honest i was averaging i was averaging out across the table (laughs) (laughs) leader and i gonna live to 109 i'm gonna kill myself before i get ugly (laughs) And I get saggy boobs. Sorry, Shadira. <laughs> Nina, you better kill yourself now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. See ya. Nina, go jump off that back. Bye, guys. <laughs> but the, the coming from a... I've never hated women or called them ugly. The thing with, also... Suicide her, she, She's saying, she, she, she saying like, um, you don't hate them, you hate yourself. She is trying to make women solve a problem of internalised misogyny, like, in such a way that it's like their fault they're doing it but it's a systematic problem like yes we have internalized misogyny but that's because we live under patriarchy and like no amount of individual behavior can fix that because like it's a systematic problem so it's so individualistic her brand of capitalism is narcissistic and self-indulgent individualistic and it's ironic that she uses the same logic of her capitalism of her feminism 
Yeah. Yeah. Completely. And it's the same logic that underpins and capitalist it, capitalist feminism. Yeah, and it, and it's it's capitalism in the sense that you know under capitalism, if you're not an appropriate competitor, you're not efficient enough, you're not going to reap the profit. It's the same thing. It's like if you're not woke enough, not liberated enough, not self-loving slash self-hating enough you don't like win feminism i just one thing that i did want to point out before we move on from the capitalism aspect she creates a glossary at oh, the back yeah, of the book so oh there's also an actual privilege checklist a physical like, tick box you can checklist. tick off what you what your privileges are I know. And then presumably you can carry it around and show it to people like, yeah. these are all the privileges that I've acknowledged. Fill it in for yourself. But Imagine have... going on a date with a man and you're like, hold up, before <laughs> hold we go on this king. date, can you just sign this checklist, please? Yeah, this NDA checklist. And if you get over seven out of ten, I'm sorry, but, but this just... date can't happen. <laughs> yeah, this, this is what I mean. Bye, boy. I only go out with poor black men. <laughs> <laughs> Disabled. Yeah. What else? You better be trans as well. <laughs> you better Shut be gay and actually not attracted yeah. to me. I only go out with men that fundamentally hate me. That is such a radical act under capitalism. Yeah. Just going out with men that aren't attracted to you. <laughs> radical the most radical act under capitalism. Go out with a gay man you. to go <laughs> But this this is what I mean about when I say it should have been more academic because she tries to deploy academic terminology. I know capitalism isn't, acad- isn't an academic term. But she doesn't understand But if you create mean. a glossary and you're defining it, this is her definition of capitalism. A system focused on creating financial profit. Oh, honey. Oh, God. And then she says, businesses, properties, and industry, it's the same thing, are owned privately and are designed to create profit for those who own them. She definitely just typed on on Google simple definition of capitalism. Digital BBC bite size. She plagiarised like the Merriam-Webster Let's just say, I think Karl Marx got it wrong. I don't think you needed Das Kapital when you've got this. Yeah. Because the most radical thing you do I get my capitalist discourse from Florence Gibbon. Can we just think about if Marx was an influencer today and he was like dancing in front of the camera like Florence Gibbon? (laughs) Okay, so... This book that I'm holding right now, Heather Widow's Perfect Me, is basically like about pretty privilege, but it analyzes it in a systemic way. It's like about psychology, philosophy, and it basically says that no individual woman can be held held accountable for conforming to beauty ideals. Like that's completely twisted because beauty is becoming, especially within the last like 10, 20 years, a, an ethical ideal, which is all encompassing, it's global, and like no individual is at fault for this and she says that consciousness raising cannot work essentially because in there are actual gains to be made from doing the beauty ideal like this is something that florence misses out on like you can you know if you try and look hot you probably are going to get materially rewarded for it at work and stuff um and then one of the quotes is we need to transcend feminist criticisms of body practice that can wind up being as shaming as the physical imperfections that drove us to beautify in the first place, as though some of us are superior to the cultural machinery while others desperately fling ourselves across the tracks of cultural desires. And like, this is the problem with Florence, is that if you're telling me to love myself and I can't, like I don't, then that feels as bad, I think, as just hating yourself in the first place. 
it's it's generative of self-hate because you're a failure because you're now setting up another standard to which i have to conform i not only have to be like naturally hot and beautiful like you are florence but i also have to like just love myself and that is an active thing which requires clearly daily input because that's all she does with her life yeah sit around loving herself like it's not easy for my yeah (laughs) it's not easy to like just love yourself she makes it sound e- it's another standard against which to measure yourself and, and there's the way she frames it is like there'll come a critical juncture where you tip the scale and you're in the loving yourself camp you know you do all this work and then you're like and i'm there but also i question like, the nature that, that you, you like win you cross the finish line you're there i question the idea that we should spend our time and our like our limited time working towards just loving ourselves like is that really what the end goal of like humanity is is that what life should be about just working towards loving yourself like i would rather work on i don't know loving higher goals yeah i'd rather work on loving others that would bring me much more like satisfaction than loving myself or and like think... making things or reading things or doing things with my life like going outside like it seems like she just sits around looking at her clit in the mirror <laughs> i think because her self-love <laughs> yeah, yeah literally okay wait another quote really quickly hey. i forgot no no, no I wait say something. it's really funny okay. um where, where is it <laughs> Rub your clit as a private act of resistance. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it turns out I'm a massive revolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> Lenin's there like wanking off furiously. Like, oh, come on. It's come on, you bolshies. <laughs> Audrey Lord could never... Sorry, guys, I don't need to read about feminism because I wank. No, yeah. I won't be going to the protest. I'll be at home coming. <laughs> it's over for you hoes when I orgasm. <laughs> when I figure out the G-spot, it's over for you bitches. Any members my- watch out. Because <laughs> I've got a new vibrator. <laughs> what were oh, you going to say, What were you going to say before I interrupted you? Sorry. Yeah, you are... Yeah. I know, but wasn't that You're worth toxic. it? You're oh. toxic. That was worth it. Yeah, you toxic queen. <laughs> toxic queen. <laughs> Chernobyl being. <laughs> toxic queef. Guys, queefing is a radical act against capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> to support my working class sisters, I do fanny farts. <laughs> um, one thing I was going to say is that because her self-love comes from an original place of self-hatred she seems to think that the only alternative to self-love is self-hatred such that if you don't actively love yourself you must be hating yourself yeah whereas i don't think i necessarily love myself but i am so not i'm like the least self-hating maybe i could do with some more self-hate to humble me but it's because i don't evaluate myself I don't step outside of myself and evaluate from a critical distance. I, I just will, am myself. I will say that I think you're quite unusual. Yeah, in that you way. are. Like I've always thought this, but like I get what you, I get what you're saying is that, and also like, even before I read the book and just watching her on Instagram a couple of times, like it's really obvious that she had an eating disorder. Yeah, like she acts like someone that did no, she have fully one in the says past, that. She and she says, says it that. in the book. So I'm not like being mean or anything, but yeah, to have basically to compensate with that much self-love, there must have been a lot of self-hate in the first place. Yeah, it's the origin and, of her self-love. And you're not actually getting over that self-hate by just 
saying the opposite all of the time. Like this is also my issue with affirmations. It's like, yeah, they work up to a point, but at some point you have to address the fundamental issue. But the thing that I think is interesting is that Chidera's book doesn't have the same brand of self-love stemming from self-hate. That is the key difference between them. But it does have a massively corporate rhetoric, which is what I'm saying about them. She thinks it's plagiarised, but really they're just inevitably going to create the same book. So it's things like, remind yourself, I am a lifetime investment. Mm. It's, it's a very influencer um, mindset, though, because they do capitalise off their own selves. Exactly. Like, you could only write that book if you had been become accustomed to selling yourself in that way. Like, when they talk about their energy being, like, a, a thing that they can exchange and they're like talking about their value. I mean, these are people who actually think about their own economic valuations every day. It's every... very, sorry, yeah. carry on. There you go. It's very like neat, tidy, packaged of like how to be a feminist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it's easy. And it, it just like strips away all human experience of like being a woman in the world. Yeah. Like it takes away all of the humanity and all of like the messy parts of like I... being a woman and like your lived experience. And this is why I can't. Uh, this is why I can't understand that it's useful. I think people probably enjoy it because of the hype, but I can't see how you could action most of these things in your daily interactions because most of us don't have the time or ability or, um, I guess, kind of work patterns even to to level this amount of criticism against people that we're around every day. Like she yeah. seems to hate everyone and everything. It's the same. I mean, the sunflower is like very very man hating um what are the things that she said she said um the only solution to ensure the safety of women is for men not to exist oh she solved it um i don't have time to think about the reasons why the system you created at my expense to benefit you is now choking you if men are committing suicide because they can't cry how's it my concern men are murdering us and abusing children and you think i have time to theorize on why they can't cry no not me hun until young men are being married off at the age of six and having acid thrown in their faces for declining sexual advances, you can't change my mind. Why does she want men to face the same oppression as women yeah. rather than freeing women of their oppression? Yeah. And also, it completely belies the radical individualism when she says, I don't have time to think about that. It's under the guise, or their feminism, both of them, it's under a guise of, like, if you improve the self, you improve the collective. But... Clearly yeah. they don't care about the collective. Yeah, I mean, this they is an issue with um, that somebody made about the Slum Flowers reparations is that reparations is meant to be like a global reparations movement where every black person gains some economic... Recom- um, I keep saying recompense. Recompense or compensation. Recompense, there we go. Um, for harms like previously perpetrated by white people. What she is asking for is just money for herself from like the actions of one white person, which is not really how reparations should act. She's not sharing that with the community. But also it's, like, a, it's a fundamentally capitalist form of reparations because it's about purchasing something and sending money to an individual, which depoliticizes it from state responsibility mm. and makes it the responsibility of the consumer citizen mm. rather than governmental, like big government taking responsibility and actioning something as a social good yeah and we see this like happening a lot i guess in general like with venmo and like that is kind of how reparations i think are working at the moment but i don't think that it's how they should work or should be i mean idealized to work venmo and gofundme aren't really reparations it's just like 
charity. But it's framed as reparations. Sometimes it is framed as that though. Is it? Yeah, Yeah, fully. Like, um, especially during BLM, there were a lot of like Venmos going around that was like, pay me for like the harms caused in the past, which I get why you're asking, but like, but it's it's it I don't detracts think it from helps for the whole like the whole yeah. community. I think it also like if people step in to fill and I'm pro reparations, but if people step in to fill the gap left by, by conservative governments yeah. and not only is it there's like both supply and demand mm. at the individual level, it reinforces that the individual citizen consumer is the one that is responsible for political change mm. rather than governmental responsibility. And also not even people with like a lot of money, like the Venmo, yeah. these Venmos aren't even asking like- It doesn't change the system. The billionaires or the millionaires or the rich people, they're asking like just normal other people on Twitter. Because the yeah. 1% can just say no. And yeah. also they always privilege, I mean, this is the issue with the Sunflower asking for reparations is they privilege people that are gonna have the most views of their Venmo or gonna have a book exactly. out that people like, not everyone is a like. Are you influencer. recirculating that money? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't benefit the black community when her book ha- makes more sales, especially because her book is not Awful. very good. <laughs> yeah, we can dive into her book now. Yeah, I mean, I I like I haven't read that much of her book, but uh, I read like bits of it because you brought it over yesterday. Yeah, I so, read all of it, and I read Florence Givens earlier this week. I'm not gonna lie, my brain was it had enough, but I looked at a few quotes and. Yeah, it's not it's not good. The thing that there's so many parallels. So there's the radical individualism, there's the capitalist rhetoric framing other people in terms of value, worth, investment, framing yourself in terms of that. Mm. The interesting thing that they do is deploy the younger self metaphor. Mm. Imagine you're talking to your younger self. And it's so both of them it's so diagnostic when they say things like if this person does this, that means they're they have a savior complex if this person does this that means they're emotionally codependent if this person does this they have stunted growth who are you to say that yeah you, don't you have, have no degree. idea you're just a person mm. i'm not going to go around diagnosing people with mental illnesses mm. and it's based on so little evidence it's just like if they don't text you back they're they have narcissistic personality disorder <laughs> like well, that is an actual it pathologizes normal disorder. Yeah, absolutely. They've just taken loads of buzzwords that are flying around on social media. Yeah. The zeitgeist. Yeah. Yeah. And just chuck them in as if they're qualified to say these things when they're not. And it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. One- I mean, they're not the first or last people to do that. You know, on Instagram and TikTok and whatever now, we're seeing words like... Three signs of a psychopath. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. just like trauma and Tra- all oh my of God, that. The trauma rhetoric. And it's like some things humans just do because they can be shitty at points, not because they have a personality disorder or a psychiatric problem. Also, sometimes people just do things without it being a pathology. Yeah. Sometimes Um, people just do things. That should be the name of our book. (laughs) (laughs) It's also a book that was written, like, What a Time to Be Alone is a book that's about getting over a boy. And it's a book. Yeah, apparently she said. What? She admits coming into her ideas on self-worth and feminism after spending a year getting over a man she dated for three months. What? Yeah. Like, she said that on Instagram. Wow. I mean, she clearly had some problems before this because a three-month relationship... Yeah. Or you dating... diagnosing her, Lena? 
Yep, sorry. Tally with Tables. <laughs> she's had, big also, girl she's boss. like she's been really clear. She dropped out of uni because of depression. Like she does have mental health issues, but that's very separate. To yeah, this. that doesn't depression doesn't excuse writing a bad book. Some of the best authors have been depressed. Mm. Most of them, I'd say. Yeah, depression makes good art. Yeah. And also, people that hate themselves are usually funnier and more interesting. Yes, yeah, I so think we true. should start a movement of hating yourself a bit more. I <laughs> genuinely, completely agree. Like, yeah, I think loving yourself is a destructive, horrible emotion, it's and also it will just boring. And also, like the reason that both of these books are bad is because these people love themselves too much to be critical. Like the reason that I wouldn't write a book genuinely is because, like, I would be saddled every day with like self-doubt and worries and like i get this even with the podcast like i'm on the <laughs> and i'm like ah. and you know, i think that's good it, it forces you to be better i think you should hate yourself 99 percent of the time and then one percent appreciate yourself the kind of like key thematic framing between the two of these and between their particular when I say brand of feminism, I really mean brand. There's like a, a contradictory impulse. So you've got the inevitability of the universe. There's so many maxims and quotes about what's meant for you won't miss you. Um, the, you know, the universe is, it wants you to succeed and you will, you'll get there. Mm. Other people, like you will, you will find your people, you will. So it's inevitable, tribe. <laughs> inevitable posi- positivity of the universe that you will ultimately, the truth will out, you will win and that can't be changed. But, if it doesn't happen, it's because of you. But at the same time, this is the real contradiction, you as an individual are not responsible for anything other than yourself. So, and that might sound good, but what I mean is things like, this is a quote from Chidera, nothing anybody ever does is ultimately because of you. I have no responsibility for people's responses and reactions to my behavior does she not like understand the basic human she doesn't condition of like social relations no she doesn't Dirk Heim is turning in his grave right now Florence says the way people treat you is absolutely no reflection of you your worth or your value and I do Uh, agree that to some extent sometimes people are mean to you and you don't really deserve it but like your book is, Florence, if you're listening, your book is shit. And that is an absolutely a reflection of your worth, your value, <laughs> honey. There's one thing that Chadira says that I think is just awful. Two things, actually. Never give people a second chance to violate you, no matter how small scale it was. And she literally uses examples of flaking on plans. <gasps> they don't even deserve an explanation as to why you don't want to speak to them. <laughs> Followed up by... It does not matter how close you are to someone. You are never entitled to another human being's kindness. Oh my God. I was shocked. That is just so cold. Yeah. Like, does she think that humans exist in a vacuum? Well, this... Like, what? You are not entitled to another human being's kindness. I don't want to live in that kind of world. I think it's so sad. Yes, I am. Because this is the... (laughs) But this is what Instagram does. It's because you... But you can only believe either of these things if you think that it's possible to sit at home and feel as emotionally and socially fulfilled sitting at home on your phone as you can be like with in genuine real life relationships. Yeah. Like they've both been completely conditioned by the online world. She yeah. wants humans to become some sort of unfeeling cyborg. It's yeah. radical individualism. Yeah. And this bit as well, I mean it doesn't really make sense, but it's just the radical individualism again. 
you need you more than you need anyone else. And you need you more than anyone else will ever need you. Just fundamentally, like, social relationships are always inherently secondary to your self-perception. Yeah. I just don't think it's true. Which is crazy because, like, we used to live in a world where your value was kind of actually assigned by community and I think that that's not particularly a bad thing like your relationships with the community should be as important as your relationships with yourself like I, the relationships yeah. you with people around you I mean yeah humans are fundamentally social, social beings yeah. yeah I fully believe that the individual emerges from the collective yeah this, and this is so it's like collectives are populated by individuals and the individual takes priority every I mean time. you would you would you would be able to never associate with another person according to these like feminists like you could be in fact actually the only way to be the perfect feminist in both of their ideologies is to never associate with another person completely isolated consume anything than your own thoughts and feelings like florence says that you shouldn't that you'll begin to hate all films and all books because you'll see the male gaze everywhere like these people are literally cutting themselves off from any art culture humanity politics that doesn't completely resemble what they think and they're not even using other people to get to what they think yes exactly she just wants like this just sounds like a horrible dystopian universe and i don't want to live in it yeah no it's fully it's a horrible world no it's like so it's a parable not a parable a metaphor the hedgehogs that want to be close to each other but can't get close because of their spikes meaning your own like the, but impo- it's not the impossibility even, of closeness, But it's not even that because they don't want to get close to But they don't want to, to. exactly. It's a hedgehog going, I'm not even going to try. Yeah. And going off on its own and because then Because I can see a, a spike. <laughs> yeah. So therefore I'm not even going to try. And there's also, I would like, Chidira's book is just bad in the sense that there's no page numbers. Mm-hmm. I found four spelling errors. Uh, sorry to gatekeep, but you know, just sloppy no, publishing. Is, yeah, this is what I mean about the editing thing because there was also an issue in Florence's where she started to get into the cost of being a woman as compared to a man and it was one of the only bits where she almost started to get towards some kind of actual material Mm. analysis and then she repeated the same point about women having to get taxis home like twice within the bullet pointed list and I was like it's crazy that this just doesn't seem to have been edited there does you can't sense an editorial hand you cannot at all edit like publishing houses are just picking these people up knowing that they can make a quick buck and then there's no integrity in the, the publishing world. process yeah. it took for me, these two books took me two hours to read women don't know you pretty and one and a half hours to read what time I to mean, be alone and that's like a fat book i mean to be fair she's got most illustrations is, and like just like not even like some not there even. are occasional illustrations most of it is just like weird graphics on one page like, like Wait, quotes big quotes one page is just a graphic print saying do better <laughs> oh god um, I think the other thing that's sad about both of these books is that they're being marketed as like ways into feminism. Yeah. And actually like at first I kind of thought, well, before I'd read it, I was like, oh, maybe it's fine. And I actually think it's really damaging. I agree. Because if this is your way into feminism, then your perception of feminism is always going to be something that pulls you apart from everyone rather than like being a uniting force. Like say what you want about feminism in general, but like in the 70s women were pulling together and forming like refuges and communes and marches and and even before that obviously there's a lot of like class and race issues but 
the mass protests for suffragettes and stuff like that. Yeah, it used to be a thing that would bring women together. And there have always been huge arguments among feminists because that's what's happened. That's what happens when you throw women together. They <laughs> fucking have cat fights. But like... Gals are just bitching. I'm joking. <laughs> I am joking. But like, of course, there's going to be occasional arguments. But it used to be something which was about community. Whereas now it's something which is about separation and about the exaltation of the self. And above. the exaltation of difference. Like... So if we think that feminism used to be about trying to turn women into a class interest, you know, like it was the idea that we should try and raise class consciousness with women being a class. Feminism is now just a method to like connect with your inner soul and actually completely separates you from being a class Yeah, because Mm. it's trying to diverge you from other women. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, their use of the word resistance just pisses me off because resistance requires social solidarity yeah and resistance is reactionary it's not private also i'm confused about what but either of these girls are resisting they don't even really define like what patriarchy is they don't at all or like what they see as the state of patriarchy well they in don't modern know. britain I truly don't Like, they, they both know. seem to just define it in terms of shitty relationships that they've had. They define it in terms of how they value themselves. Yeah, and like, yeah, exactly, and the way that they've been made to feel by men. But, like, is that actually the basis of all patriarchy? I don't know if that is, like, if or if it should be the basis of, like, a patriarchy, a definition of patriarchy that we can all use. I'd just like to read out a bizarre quote. The ability to pee is a blessing in itself. It means your body is working. It means you are healthy. It means you are alive. Like, why is your evaluation of life based on your ability to piss and shit? You love that, though. (laughs) No, but, like, I don't feel like I'm living when I'm, like, pissing and shitting. And I, yeah. Anyway. uh, Actually, it's on your own vomit. (laughs) (laughs) I like pissing in the street. That makes me feel at one with nature. But the, my I, point is just like... I pissed in like woods before and that's... I did a shit in the woods once and that was really you? nice. I yeah. did a wee on hamster teeth. But like, day. I wouldn't write a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd read it if you did. <laughs> and then this thing. Don't be scared to raise your standards. Nothing is ever worth lowering them for. And then in the same sentence. There will be times when you'll be tempted to lower your standards. There will be times when people will be worth the exception. Literally in the same sentence says, there's never any reason to lower your standards. Later on says, sometimes there is. What? I mean, Florence does this as well. She's talking about like, you have to discard everyone to be a feminism. And then like literally the next page, she says, sometimes you should be patient with people. It's like, I think it's because they realise that, also like neither of these people have actual opinions really, I don't think. Um, Because all of their opinions are based on like this, but then we have to caveat with this, but then we have to caveat with this 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 because this is like the essential nature of identity politics this is yeah sorry just that you constantly have to defer to the fact that other identities exist so you can never actually state your opinion or have an opinion really because it can't be allowed to develop because you have to constantly acknowledge that other things exist so neither of them can actually make firm statements about anything this i wrote this quote because i think it is such a pithy accidental insight mm. may you find comfort in your identity why would i be troubled and then requiring comfort from my i identity? don't know i guess like 
I think if you're a person of color, like there is comfort to be found in, I don't know. Like, I, your, yeah. I, don't know, yeah, I would say, roots. yeah. Yeah, I feel like if you have an identity and it, you are marginalized because of that identity, you do necessarily like have to like come back into a relationship with it. Like you're born with it, mm. but that doesn't mean you necessarily fully embrace it. It, it actually is without trying to sound like some sort of self-help like <laughs> guru. It is like a process or a journey of like embracing it again. Yeah, I think from outside observation, because I've <laughs> never had to go through this process because I'm English. <laughs> um, but it, it feels like to be like from a different culture in Britain, you have to kind of fall out of love with it almost at school where you're taught to be like unitary and then use your early 20s to like fall back in love with being who you truly are. Mm. Yeah. That's my experience is like, obviously not being white, being British. That is very persuasive. I guess I was reading it from the white feminist perspective. Yeah, as in like at school, like I hated being brown. Did you? Or Arab, whatever. But that's because I went to an all white school. Yeah. And... I try to like make myself as white as possible. And then like, I actually started just like accepting and like liking the fact that I mm. am that and like embracing parts of culture whilst also discarding other parts. Yeah. Like it's, it's not all about like totally wholly embracing and liking every part of your identity, like your cultural, your ethnic or racial, whatever. But it's like coming to terms with that. Some, some things that you accept on some things that you discard Mm. but i would say the issue with what she's saying is not that you should like i think you should find comfort in your identity but i don't think it should be the only thing that comforts you absolutely not and like it seems as if for her that identity and that self is the primary means of comfort i guess that's my i didn't phrase it well but that is you phrased it better pip like that is my issue with that sentence that i found so confusing because it locates all management of emotion and happiness in parts of yourself. Mm. But I, that, yeah, that is very persuasive. And parts yeah. of yourself that you didn't choose. Yeah. yeah. And that have like been bestowed upon you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't choose to be this way or have like certain stereotypes or characteristics or traits associated with this identity so mm. why do I, I have to like yeah like this is I, don't, I don't think you should myself. I don't think you should hate anything that you're born into but I also Probably don't not. think that you should base that as like your complete self-worth because in both senses like you haven't earned that that's something that you were like born with so to love yourself purely on the base of like the body you were given or to hate yourself purely on the basis of the body you're given are both like, to me, stupid. Love yourself based on the things that you add to the world and that you do. And, and that like, might derive from aspects of your identity in a specific yeah, per- way. Exactly. And like, you might do something with productive with your notion of identity or you might like- Create use solidarity. Your, you might like use yeah, mobilize. the but that's yeah. come from your identity to- You might rub your clit. Yeah. It's resistance. <laughs> I was born with this clit and I'm going to rub it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should make that the new tagline of critical theory. I was born with this clip and I'm going to rub it. <laughs> Till the cows come home. Well, these books are stupid. The books are stupid. I also think any like attempt at deep analysis of either of these books leads you down a 
dark wormhole Fully. because neither of them like <laughs> I read Sontag's Against Interpretation last Love night <laughs> all of it no no all that essay like oh right okay I want to read that but, like, don't worry <laughs> yeah yeah but um these are definitely works which do not require interpretation <laughs> can be read at complete surface value like there's nothing deeper going on in either of these books apart from the fact that because neither of them challenge any of their assumptions that come from being raised in the influencer Instagram industrial complex, it's a nice way in to see that. But what alternatives? So what, when you were saying, Pip, your initial reaction was very similar to mine in that I read Women Don't Owe You Pretty, hated it and then thought, but maybe it's good for 16 year olds. But now I think it isn't. What would be an alternative you might suggest? For 16 year olds? Mm. Oh, God, that's. That's a tough one. <laughs> I don't know. It's difficult because, like, I kind of do agree that a lot of feminist theory is completely inaccessible. Yeah, which totally. Is why, which is why I don't want to be too much like, you have to do loads of reading and you have to... But I think there are, I guess, like, some things that you could get into or start reading. Um, I think... Sheila Rebosum would be a good one. Um, Audrey Lord Zami is an incredible book. Actually, I read it recently. Um it's like a what's it called like an auto biographical no it's like she calls it her auto mythology or something Ooh. i don't know anyway it's like yeah you can auto myth biography anyway it's like really really incredible um and that's and that's her <laughs> coming of age as a black lesbian in new york in the i think she was born in the 50s <sighs> so cool um but no, but like it's a really like tough, like horrible experience that she recounts, and she does it at a point in her life in which she can recount that experience with wisdom and with insight. Like neither of these, that's why I'm saying both of these books should have been left like ten, twenty years, because maybe by that point they could recount something interesting about their venture into feminism. But at this point, I don't see how Florence's reflections on in being kicked out of her friendship group in at age fourteen, Literally, age fourteen, should be a guidance to the uk young womanhood on how to be a feminist yeah so have you read i know why the caged bird sings by my angelou similar it's really good it's just like her life from when she was a child all the way up to when she was like a teenager and she was pregnant and like yeah just basically similar for 16 year old girls they just need like women that look like them and are yeah. like them telling yeah. their own stories because that's the only way you can recognize like your lived experience 100%. in someone else and like obviously working with 16 year olds yeah. and being a 16 year old myself at one point I even now like, Lena. <laughs> Lena. yeah guys i'm 16 um like the feelings that you can't articulate because you don't have the vocabulary for them yet that's what young girls need yeah in the form of a story yeah of like your own experience for them to actually recognize that feeling in someone else Mm. Mm. like that is just the beauty of reading books and reading stories yeah i was gonna say that's what literature is for like to navigate the human experience like do you know what i don't even think 16 year olds need like self-help they don't books like this affirmations they just need something's wrong with them absolutely they just need stories I don't think, yeah, young girls need to be taught how to be, like, critical of every systematic, like, oppression they face because that's just going to make them sad and angry. Like, they just need to relate. 
and then they can do the like work they can do the unpacking and critiquing all of that work later on when they've developed those critical skills skills yeah yeah read girl woman other oh yeah absolutely because that's a nice like easy rebecca solnit's like nice little essays read if you want some what these books try to do but fail at actually it's not even that 50 shades of feminism 50 small essays oh that pink one no that's feminists don't wear pink that was rubbish 50 shades of feminism is it's a collection of like 50 small essays by a really wide variety of feminists talking about a really wide variety of topics and they just kind of tell Mm. their stories so one of them is the former principal of my college at uni baroness helena kennedy qc of the shores oh my god um queen yeah and she wrote the book (laughs) true girl boss (laughs) yeah she kind of is a bit of a girl boss anyway she's so she's a labor peer but she wrote and we should talk about this later eve was framed and it's essentially just her experience of being a barrister from a working class area of scotland as a woman and it's a really neat weaving of institutional observation and personal experience and that's fantastic like that's what the Mm. whole book is so i'd recommend that one yeah and also like just stories from the people themselves rather than like a white woman like florence saying like these are other people's stories but here's mine but here's mine like just diversify the diversify the narratives you can see yeah diversify the voices like disabled women yeah 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 and don't just follow them on instagram like buy their books yeah yeah okay question about uh florence gibbons talk of bisexuality in the book any thoughts seeing as she is actually bisexual so she has like you know what that queer bit was the only bit of the book that i found mildly compelling yeah but then i also was like i would rather read about this from anyone else because yeah you're you're, this isn't particularly well written but when she was talking about how sometimes it can be difficult like being like coming into bisexuality almost because you kind of feel like you're in both places 100% like, yeah. I definitely question my sexuality a lot in a, like, a fun way. It's not, like, in a turmoil. And um, this flavour of the month is straight this week, but who knows what next week will be. <laughs> but it is... I find it fun and liberating because I'm lucky to be able to do that. But being in a... Like, I, I'm just, like, around women all the time and very loving, open women, it can be really confusing. So I can fully imagine the flip side is true in that you're questioning whether your feelings are valid or if they're just a product of come homosociality yeah are they girl crushes or are you just gay yeah well actually. maybe it's a girl crush maybe you're queer that was one yeah, of the yeah, best things from to... the book yeah. yeah yeah and like i do think that's the only thing of value because actually i think probably most girl crushes are just Gayness. women being queer yeah. yeah and like that is the only thing that i have probably ever taken from Florence Gibbon and I think that is one of the only things that 16 year olds reading it I'm glad they'll read that yeah Mm. yeah but how interesting would it be if she'd just written a whole book on that like you could write a whole book I would have loved maybe not loved because she's not a very good writer but I would so have preferred to read about that Mm. rather than like her lying in a field at 14 that was the most ridiculous paragraph (laughs) she talks about like how she like the first time that she ever got into loving herself was when she was 14 and she'd been kicked out of the friendship group in, and she's like if i can just listen to one song when i'm lying back on this field 
then I'll then I'm, I'm a girl boss. Self love and like yeah, sure. That's probably a really challenging act for a fourteen year old girl. Like I hated myself at fourteen and was like disgustingly self conscious. But that doesn't mean that I would put it in a book when I'm twenty one years old. And feminist theory. I was <laughs> literally reading that like lol. <laughs> yeah, I laughed at that bit. Yeah, which is fine because you shouldn't have put that in a book. Yeah. <laughs> Any concluding thoughts, ladies? No thoughts, head empty. <laughs> um, Much like Florence Given. Yep. In I... the true spirit of Florence Given, I have no thoughts to give. <laughs> no new thoughts to add. I think that there has been a lot of discourse in the last couple of years. Um, I'm talking about you, Joe Biden, about elder abuse. But I would say that these books are a sign that younger abuse is coming back into a fashion. And I can't wait. And um, we need to stop exploiting the youth and their stupid little ideas my yeah my rage is towards the publishing industry that's mm. my conclusion is like i have seen so starkly how and instagram in social media and the system ban ban instagram yeah ban the patriarchy abolish as much as i think florence and Jadira are to blame for actually writing these books and thinking they're good like we can also recognize they're also working in a system yeah i fully blame the publishing industry okay and social media I was like wondering when to make this point because it's a bit like... Is it spicy? Uh, no, it's just like from my own research. But oh. basically my diss was about how most feminism that we observe throughout history has been completely conditioned by the um, state system or economic system upon, like under which it exists. So like 70s feminism was very much about like building refuges and starting community houses. And that's because it was at a point at which all of those things were possible under like the way that social democracy worked at the time and then we started to see like women can have it all under margaret thatcher because like that was the idea like you should have it all and now you can't complain about the system because if you try hard enough you can yeah and now with what we're seeing with both of these women and this is why i like do think that you can't blame them too much is exactly the same thing but we're just living under a new kind of capitalism which is built around like data and instagram and content And and ego and the, and the extreme atomization like if we had slight atomization under thatcher like that's only accelerated so as much as both of these books are terrible they're nothing not to be expected and yeah. really it's the system's fault no i in, fully agree inevitable and, products of the system yeah but they they don't seem to be able to acknowledge that no but like mm. i don't think that most people have been and like i don't want to blame right. them i think that other better forms of feminism have persisted in the past because there have been better systems that have enabled those kinds of activism and Got productivity it. and i think that it takes quite a certain person to be able to see outside the limits of the system that you exist within and neither of these girls are that yeah so, and they're not cultivating those kinds of people through their books no. yes yeah agreed. they're cultivating more kind of like drones Ca- like Do you mean clones clones <laughs> drones, drones. drones like, like no drones like you know like the bee that's the drone you know like the bee drone oh like, sorry yeah somebody's been reading a bit too much virgil <laughs> <laughs> just basically things. what i'm saying is that we live in a society so true queen r.i.p Baroness Thatcher, you were the original girl boss. She really was. And we dedicate this podcast to you. (laughs) R.I.P. Margaret Thatcher, I know you would have loved Florence Kibben. (laughs) She was a triple threat. She was a gaslighter, a gatekeeper, and a a girl boss. boss. (laughs) What's your favourite position? Prime Minister. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, 
Bye, Bye losers. losers. You can say it as well. Bye, losers. <laughs> yeah.